Amen. As the children head downstairs with their leaders, we're going to jump back into our launching series for the year, a series entitled All In, All In. And we're going to wrap that series up this morning with a message that's entitled Dying to Self. Dying to self. Who's first in line? Yeah. You know, we've looked at the hard sayings of Jesus in in this series thus far, and we established that there is a clear cost to following him. As Diedrich Bonhoeffer put it, there is a cost to discipleship, and we are to count that cost as we express our faith and our fellowship of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus calls us to a full surrender, to be all in, a full surrender of our will, a full surrender of our way, a full surrender even of our picture of what our life should look like. He's calling us not to be half-hearted Followers of his, but to be those willing to go all in with him. Last week, in our second message, we established that trusting God really begins, stay with me, where understanding ends. You remember that? That it's not really faith if you can figure it out, right? We like to figure it out. We like to know where God's working. We like to to be able to look ahead and connect the dots and what have you. But it's not faith if you can figure it out. And we're to walk by faith in our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not trust, really, if you can understand it. And we, we saw that in the story of Abraham and Isaac and God calling Abraham to sacrifice His one and only son that he loved. Well, this week I want to shift gears a little bit and I want to focus on what it means to die to self. It's easy to say that. It's easy to to read those words. But, boy, it's a whole different story when we have to enter into that process in the quietness of our lives. The Apostle Paul calls it crucifying the flesh. And this, this dying to self, this crucifixion of the flesh, I believe is one of the great ambiguities in the Christian life. It's hard for us to get our minds around what this really means. But if we're going to go all in with Jesus Christ, we must declare war on sin. Not a popular word. In our culture today. But the Apostle Paul put it this way. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul says that when we by faith surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, something definitive happens in that moment. At the moment of conversion, a death occurs as we acknowledge Jesus' work on the cross 
for the forgiveness of our sin, and we identify with Him. We count the cost, and we step over the line, and we identify with His death on the cross, and we too are crucified with Him. And in that identification, we die to sin, and we die to the final consequences of sin that Jesus took upon himself on the cross. Does that make sense? In Colossians, Paul puts it this way. He says, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. It's a definitive death that occurs at conversion when we repent of our sin and express faith in Him. The old person is passed away and the new person is now hidden with Christ in God, in the righteousness of Christ, adopted as a child of God, fully forgiven, Entirely accepted and completely restored in our relationship with God the Father. That's what happens in that death. When we come to Christ, we acknowledge our sin, we acknowledge our need for Him, and we step into His death, and we are crucified with Him, we become as acceptable to the Father as He is. It's a beautiful thing. The sin, the shame, the guilt from our old life is exchanged, literally, for the righteousness of Christ. For all eternity. And nothing can snatch us from the Father's hand, the Scripture tells us. We are eternally secure, fully forgiven, and unhindered in our relationship with God. What a beautiful thing. He who had no sin became sin for us, took the penalty of sin upon himself that we might become the righteousness of God. Let that sink in. By grace, a free gift, through faith and faith alone. If anyone is in Christ... They are a new creation. The old has passed away, and what? The new has come. That's what baptism represents. That's what it's symbolic of, being buried in the likeness of Christ. In other words, being crucified with Him as we go under the water, and then being raised to new life in His resurrection as we come up. Hidden with Christ in God. But I don't know about you. When I stepped out of that baptismal 28 years ago, I figured out pretty quickly that I still had a fight on my hands. That that my struggles weren't going to go away immediately. That the old man still remained. That there was residue of that old man in my life that I was going to have to fight All my days this side of heaven. 
The old tenant may have left the building, but his residue remained. The Bible calls that residue the flesh. The flesh. Some translations call it the sinful nature. They use those two terms interchangeably, flesh and sinful nature. I prefer the flesh because as new creations in Christ, our nature, our core identity is now identified with Him. Our core identity, our nature now is a child of God in all the righteousness that Christ has imputed to us. The ambiguity here lies in the fact that there are two distinct deaths that Paul refers to in his letters. There is a definitive death that we've talked about here that occurs at conversion for every believer. We are crucified with Christ, but there is also a perpetual death, a daily death that occurs as we pick up our cross and choose to follow Jesus each day. Two deaths. A definitive death, justification where we are identified with the death of Jesus and his crucifixion and we are declared guilt, uh, uh, not guilty before God because of what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross. We died with him, a definitive death, but then yet there's an ongoing perpetual death. Galatians 5 24, Paul puts it this way. He said, those who belong to Christ have, past tense, done, it has happened, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It's already done, Paul says. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. That death has occurred definitively when we were justified and declared not guilty before God the Father because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. It's done. It satisfies the wages of sin. And forgives us for all eternity. The old man is passed away. But there is this perpetual death that we must choose daily. That's the challenge of the Christian life. As we walk by faith and we choose to resist the residue that the old man left behind. We're dead to sin Yet we are dying to sin. It's the already and not yet principle we see in the New Testament. And that's what Paul is referring to in Romans chapter 8 when he says, For if you are living according to the flesh, the residue of the old man, you must die. He's talking to Christians here. He says, but if by the Spirit you are crucifying or you are putting to death the deeds of the flesh, you will what? You'll live. Remember what Jesus said. We talked about this in week one. Jesus said, narrow is the way that leads to life and few are they who find it. This is the narrow way. Not eternal life, necessarily. 
but abundant life. The life that Jesus said He came to give us. Dying daily, as Paul put it. He said, I died daily. I am crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ, yet I choose to die daily. Dying daily is the key to living abundantly. It's the key to accessing the joy that Christ has promised us in the Christian life. How do we do that? How do we do that? It is the greatest challenge in my life and the greatest challenge of every true Christian's life. But the Scripture tells us and Paul tells us that we... We do it by choosing to not walk by the flesh, which means not walk or follow the desires and the passions of the flesh, but we do it by choosing to walk by the Spirit. It's what Galatians chapter 5 is all about. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We choose the one within us, the Spirit of God, to overcome the residue of the old man. And we do that through the direction of his word, what Paul calls the sword of the Spirit. It is the sword of the Spirit that puts to death the deeds of the flesh, the word of God. John Stott put it this way, and I love this. He said, crucifying the flesh requires an ongoing radical repentance. Repentance is not a one and done thing. We repent when we come to Christ, when, when the Spirit of God reveals to us our own sin and our need for a Savior. And we repent when we turn away from that sin. It literally means to change direction. When we turn away from that sin and we turn toward God and ask for His power to overcome that sin. Stott says, crucifying the flesh requires an ongoing, daily, radical repentance. Repentance is not a once and done deal. It's a daily decision. Now hear me, it is a daily decision not to allow anything contrary to the character of God to take up residence in your life. What are you allowing to take up residence in your life? It is contrary to the character of God. That's the definition of righteousness, the character of God. And that is the definition and the identity of who we are in Christ. When we acknowledge that sin, when we step over the line and we invite Him in to be our Savior, we are the righteousness of God. And whatever that sin is, wherever that residue rises up in your life, by faith, invite the power of the Spirit into that place to crucify it. That is the great work of the Christian life. That is where abundant life is found. That is where joy is found. 
the great irony of accessing the life that Jesus promised through our own death. It's uncomfortable. (laughs) It's unnatural. Our flesh screams to go in the other direction. We're living sacrifices, Paul says in Romans 12. But living sacrifices have a tendency to what? Crawl off the altar. And that's why each day we must put ourselves back on the altar. Each day we must die to the desires and the passions of the flesh. Anything that is contrary to the character of God that seeks to take residence in our lives. It's a daily dying work. It is the road less traveled. It is the narrow way. But dying daily is the key to living abundantly. And it's the greatest challenge we have this side of heaven. I don't have it fully figured out. Do you? The great Puritan pastor John Owen in the early 18th century wrote uh, what really is still the definitive work on crucifying the flesh. It's a little 86-page book, and it's called The Mortification of Sin. Scary name. And in it he sums up this whole process with these words. He says, be killing sin or it'll be killing you. What are you allowing to live in your life right now that is contrary to the character of God? You're not alone. We're all in this thing together. What are you allowing to take up residence in your life right now that is contrary to the character of God? Where do you need to put a stake in the ground today as a follower of Jesus Christ and say, Lord, I don't know what it looks like, but I want to go all in. I want to travel through that that portal of dying to myself so that that I can access the abundant life you're promising me. Where do you need to put that stake in the ground and radically repent, turn away from that sin, and invite the Spirit in? Man, it may be something and probably is something you've been struggling with most of your life. Something that controls you to a great degree that is contrary to the character of God. You cannot live in this world and not have those things coming at you and coming into your life. You know, if you Google self-help on Amazon, 435,000 books come up. That was yesterday. You know, it, it expands exponentially. So everybody, whether you're a follower of Jesus Christ, whether you have religion, don't have religion, whatever, everybody knows there's a problem. Everybody knows they need fixed. Everybody knows they need help. 
But only God has the solution. And it's not fixing up the old man. He's not worth fixing up. The old man must be crucified and die that the new man can come. And that's only done through the power of God, through the Spirit of God that resides within us. Where do you need to put a stake in the ground today? Paul told the Romans this, Romans chapter 6, sort of the, the, the key chapters uh, when it comes to, to struggling with our flesh and struggling this side of heaven with becoming Christ-like and our character conforming to His likeness, which we're going to be in that process until we're face-to-face with Him in heaven when we die or He returns and we go to be with Him. But the key chapters that, that just Paul articulates this process so beautifully and it resonates, should resonate with every human being, are Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. So you have an opportunity this week, just jot that down. Read those chapters, not, not just a cursory reading. Allow God to speak to you in those chapters. But he says this in Romans 6. He says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign or have control in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as living sacrifices, he tells us in chapter 12, as those who have been brought from death to life. Believe it. And offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master. You now, I now, anyone who has invited the Spirit of God through Christ to reside within them has the capacity to overcome every sin in their life. Through the Spirit. Say, oh, wait a minute, Phil. That's radical. Paul tells us also that you have the same power living in you that raised Christ from the dead. What's more radical than that? We have the capacity. The question is, are we choosing the Spirit or the flesh? And you lean into the Spirit... And like a vacuum, he'll bring you with him. You lean into the flesh, and it's the same way. Where are you leaning? Where are you leaning? For sin no longer shall be your master. What is mastering you? Let me ask you something this morning. Have you counted yourself dead to sin? Or is it just something you live with? Yeah, you know, this is just the deal. I mean, I, I, I can't shake this. I mean, I've always been like this. I've always struggled with this. I just, yeah, I just I surrender to it, I guess, you know, no matter what it is. We all have those things. They raise their head every single day. Paul says, count yourself dead to it. Have you done that? Or do you keep the coffin cracked a little bit? <laughs> So you can come and go as you please. 
We do that. We justify. We play games with this stuff. And I'm in that we. We nail it shut one day and we wait to find it open again. That's the nature of this thing. So we nail it shut again because sin no longer is our master. And each day we nail it shut again and we keep nailing it shut and we keep nailing it shut and we choose to nail it shut, counting ourselves dead to sin. That's what it means to die daily. It's not just a once and done deal. That residue remains. To crucify the flesh. What have you stopped nailing shut? Where have you stopped doing that? And you've just left the coffin open for the old man to come and go as he pleases. Paul reminds us in Romans 8 who we are and the power we have in Christ over sin. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Take a look at verse 9. And again, I'm just... Uh, moving around uh, because we don't have uh, all the time in the world. Read these three chapters this week. But in Romans 8, well, first of all, the first verse in Romans 8 reminds us that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, because Christ has, has done away with our guilt and our shame on the cross. There is no condemnation. For us, God loves us. God accepts us fully. Our sin in His eyes is cast as far as the east is from the west. We can always come back to the Father. Like the prodigal son, He stands with His arms open wide. So no matter where you are, no matter how long you've been in that sin, no matter how long you've left that coffin open, God is waiting for you to turn around and to come home. He says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh as one who identifies with Christ, but you are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, if this message doesn't make you uncomfortable this morning, be concerned. If you're just going, man, blah, 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 you know, sin, 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 sin. I didn't think we even talked about that word anymore. If this message doesn't make you uncomfortable this morning, if you're not hearing God speak to your heart in any way through His Word today, man, be concerned. And that's what Paul is talking about here. He says, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. And you do not have the power over sin in your life if you do not have the Spirit. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death, these earth suits are decaying because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore... Brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. <laughs> you have a duty as a follower of Jesus Christ. It is not to follow the law to please God. Jesus has already done that on your behalf. 
We have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to that. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the flesh, you will live. Dying daily is the key to living abundantly. You know, our bodies are just vessels earth suits where our souls reside. They're houses we live in this side of heaven. When we give our lives to Christ, the original resident of that house is evicted, the old you, by Christ's authority, and the new resident moves in. The old has passed away, and the new comes to reside. The old resident has no authority, The old resident has no legal right to re-enter your house. He trashed the place before he left, and now you've got to clean it up. He's long gone. But the mop-up and the maintenance of this house is a full-time job. Just because Christ resides in in this new resident, the paint is still going to peel. Okay? The roof is still going to need to be repaired. The weeds are still going to grow in the front yard, and you and I are going to have to pull them. Our job is to get up every day and to clean this house, not just for curb appeal, but to go to work on the hidden places, the closets, the attic. You know, Kim and I sat down... uh, a couple of weeks ago in, in our annual planning time together where we're planning our year out. And, man, we were like, well, you know, the house is looking good. The kids are gone, you know. We kind of got our life together here a little bit, and things seem to stay clean when we clean them up, you know, things of that nature. Uh, it's a battle of attrition with our animals. We only have one left. And, and so, you know, boy, this is good. But you know what? There is one room in our house that is absolutely horrifying. We got a walk-in attic that is huge, and we were like, "Man, are we are we going to tackle that this year?" I mean, this is like a, a, a two-week project, probably. And it's like, "Yeah, we are. We're going to tackle that when when it cools off, uh, or when it gets a little bit warmer in the spring, and it's not too hot. We're going to get in that attic, and we're going to clean that thing out and make it pristine. Now, whether we do that or not, that's that's the question. It's such a big job." Great analogy, though. Where do you need to invite him into your life? What really, really needs to be cleaned out in your life? What dark place, what hidden place do you need to open the door to that it just seems like too big a job for you to do? And so you've hesitated to do it. So you keep going back to that place. You keep throwing stuff in that room. And it just keeps stacking up. And it's not getting better. And it won't get better until you choose, as Kim and I must choose, to do the work to clean that room out. Fortunately, in our lives as followers of Christ, the Spirit resides and gives us the capacity to do just that. Crucifying the flesh means giving Christ access to those places and permission a clean house. The question is, are you, am I, 
willing to do that. To die to ourselves. To go all in. To open every door of our lives to Him to bring the darkness to light. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Dying daily truly is the key to living abundantly. Let's bow our heads. Father, help us not to just give lip service to these hard teachings in Scripture, to not act like we fully understand them, to not act like we have all this under control. Because we don't in and of ourselves. It is only through you, it is only through the power of the Spirit that resides within us that we are able to put the old man and the residue that remains from him in our lives to death. And Lord, I pray today that you would give each of us the courage to open those rooms, to open those doors, to open those dark places in our lives that we, Lord, are just overwhelmed by, really. And don't, don't know how to deal. I pray you would give us the courage to invite Christ into those places. And that you would remind us, Lord, that no matter what door we open, there is therefore no condemnation from you for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we thank you for that, Lord, that you have extended that grace to us and it is not dependent upon our behavior or the rooms that we've refused to open Lord we are the righteousness of Christ Lord help us to live into that reality and I pray that in his powerful name Amen